Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the infant medical director of TIPQC. Today, we have the second podcast with the Zarzar family. They share a unique birthing and NICU lived experience through the lens of both being healthcare professionals. If you have not heard Zach and Alex share their pregnancy and labor experience, I hope you can go back and listen to last week's podcast. During her pregnancy, Alex had some complications and wound up delivering their daughter early at 27 weeks. Today, let's catch up with them and hear about their daughter's NICU experience. So Leona spent 59 days with us in the NICU, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 59 days. Tell everybody, sort of summarize that experience, what all you had to deal with from the good days to the bad days to the in-between days to the frustrations to the joys. What is that like having, having your little one in the NICU for that long? When I first saw her, which was after that two-hour waiting period, I got wheeled back there. And I just got to see her through the glass. And one of the one of the uh, neonatologists was there, and she was wonderful, and she was trying to be very informative. I almost didn't think she remembered me, and she was very positive and hopeful. And she let me know, you know, how strong she was, how feisty she was. Zach and I remember very well everyone telling us, oh, she's, you know, she's so she's very feisty how pretty she was giving us say it was wonderful to hear people say normal things about your not normal at the time baby you know and so it was that was that that made that kind of made us feel more human which is a a really important thing I think for parents and for patients to feel you know at a time where you feel like hopeless to kind of bring you that hope that positivity and that humanity it was that was necessary for us and so and she delivered all that really everyone did all the nurses and then just giving us a clear outline of what the next week was to look like so we weren't able to hold her for that first week she had a ua line and and so obviously that's a that's a line that goes into her um, umbilical artery and and she was on a jet ventilator too for the first couple days if i remember right correct yeah and she was well she she got intubated yep Exactly. Which, uh, you know, who knows how much she got intubated and they get to for her to get surfactant. That would kind of help her even in the future weeks. And so feeding tube. she had a, well, we didn't. Yeah. And she had that. And that was kind of prevent some of the air from building up in her stomach, too. That was mostly just to ventilate at the time. And and she was so tiny, you know, and I, I was afraid to touch her. And so she but. Yeah, it was it was a surreal time. She was extremely tiny. We saw her through there. We couldn't really touch her. Um, we were afraid to touch her. You know, we were, they were very clear to us about right now you know, the level of where her skin is, how you know she's how she interprets pain and what's painful to her versus a newborn. 
-hmm. and they are very clear with us. There's so much that we didn't know. I can't imagine not being a physician in that room. They're scared to to touch in how fragile their newborn baby is, even a full-term baby, let alone a preterm baby, how scary that is. And if you give any mom, I mean, it was, I had no clue what I was doing. I felt, I felt like it was a fresh, I needed them to tell me everything. What was I allowed to do? When was I allowed to touch her? When was I going to be able to hold her? What are all these different lines? They're different for adults than for neonates. And so the first nurse that we had in there was our very last nurse on our last day. So she got to bring us in and, and watch us leave. Uh, we had tons of different nurses that were wonderful in between, but she was our first and our last. And she was in our room a lot. And we had a, a ton of questions and we apologized a lot, which she you know, reassured us was not necessary. But we we couldn't have asked more questions. And I'm not even and I, I think we asked a few of them just repeatedly. Because we were not, you know, we were we had forgotten the answer. We were already on to our next question in our head. Yeah. And so we didn't even hear the answer she had given us. And so... Um, when there was a new nurse. My interactions with you, you always had a list of questions. And that's one thing I would encourage any any mom, dad who's, who's listening to this is do that. I mean, get your list of questions together. Expect that your doctors, your nurses, expect them to answer those. And that's what we're here for, to help you go through this journey, to walk through this with you, to help you understand everything that's taken place with yourself as a mom who's a patient. And certainly when we're taking care of your baby, we're to help you walk through this journey. And the nurses are very knowledgeable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, the nurses are very knowledgeable. I mean, they can answer probably 80% of your questions. Uh, and if they feel uncomfortable, they'll get the neonatologist, ask the neonatologist, and, uh, and can answer your questions for you. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you both about, and I've, I've taken some notes about some things that you've said, there's been a lot of studies, especially over the past few years, that have looked at moms, looked at dads, sort of the emotions that they deal with when they have a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit. About 30% of moms will have some type of depression, anxiety when their baby's in the NICU, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15% of dads will deal with those same emotions and have things like post-traumatic stress disorder, like either while it's going on or afterwards. So a couple of things I've heard you say, an out-of-body experience, the Charlie Brown voice. I've heard that before. I've actually read that in the literature. Like as soon as a physician starts giving bad news to a parent, you just immediately begin to zone out and it's just the wah, wah, wah of talking and you mentioned anxiety, you mentioned fear. Can both of you share with our audience sort of these emotions that you've had along this journey? And, and I don't think we've said this yet, but for both of you, this was just a few months ago. We're not talking to somebody who it's been years since their baby was in the NICU, but this, I mean, your discharge was four months ago. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. So she, she is going to be four months old on Monday. And she is three, she should be three weeks old today, but also so fresh that we're not, we could look down and see the open wounds. It's not, you know, they're not healed scars and they may never be. You bring somebody into this world and, and you want to give them everything that you can. And when you can't, that that's not something that, that a parent heals from very easily. Um, and so, 
So yeah, I I clearly, as I've almost cried multiple times in this podcast, am not healed from this and and never really dealt with anything going on because I I always said and everyone was so kind. They asked me so many times in the NICU, how are you? Are you okay? How are you doing? Don't forget you need sleep. Don't forget you need care. They probably should have said, don't forget you need a shower. Um, <laughs> but um, they were very, they were, even though they were caring for the baby and I wasn't their patient, they were very aware of my presence and, and how I was doing. But I, I had the same response and I, I still stand by it as if she's okay, I'm okay. And that is exactly how I think most of the moms feel. They, yeah, I mean, sure, we want a shower, <laughs> but we just want to know everything's okay. It's, you can't, you can't rest your head. You know, there's rest assured. That's the saying for a reason. You can't rest until you're assured that everything's going to be okay. And there were so many answers that they couldn't give me. And, and wow, was that, was that an eye opener? You know, we sit by these patients' rooms and we say, well, we don't really know yet until this and this happens. And they're kind of like, well, you know, that's not good enough for them. And I totally understand. It's not good enough for us either. And it's certainly not good enough for us as parents and, and then patients. And there was so much of that. I, I had such a strict timeline of what I wanted her to do. And and I wanted all of the things printed out on when, when was I allowed to put clothes on her? When was she allowed to come out of the incubator? When was she going to be weaned off of the CPAP? Or when was she going to be excavated? I was very... I really needed some some deadlines and some hope and some and they they were willing to give me all of that and and you know but also telling me this is not this is not a clear cut journey this is going to be there's going to be some bumps in the road there's going to be some touch and go and you know we're going to have to just we're going to have to just be okay with her deciding when things are going to happen and not everyone else around her and so and that and that was hard to to grasp as well because of my personality, my previous pregnancies and deliveries and me being in control of everything and completely having to take the back seat and watch everyone else do everything with her. Yeah, Zach, I've had dad sometimes tell me that there's certain sounds, certain smells, just certain images they'll have in their mind that are all of a sudden trigger them. Have you yeah, I've been lucky to the point where I haven't experienced that too much, but it's just the fact of seeing your baby in the incubator with all these lines and 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 all these things that uh, could potentially be be long term effects on on your baby, on your child. Are they going to be like everybody else? You know, these are these are things that that can cause strain. And you just want to each day you want to see progress. And, and it's not necessarily possible to see objective progress every single day, because there are some days where you don't see that. And and it really puts a strain on you when that happens. For example, yeah. there were different wet like when she would get weighed at night, usually yeah. around 8 p.m. She'd be weighed. And if she didn't gain as much as yesterday or if she didn't gain much at all, and we would be worried and, yeah. and it would put a strain on us. It would put a strain on, on our house. We would talk to our, our kids at home differently and things like that because we were mm. worried and anxious. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. it's, it's, it's a real thing and it shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, yeah. I, mean I would encourage, again, for the patients that are listening to this, for the lay people. Be sure to have these discussions with your nurses, with your doctor, if you're going through these. Again, that's what we're here for, to 
sort of help you navigate this journey? I think you just yes. heard as Arzor say, this really is a journey, having a baby in the NICU or the mom being in the hospital for yeah. as long as you are. And it's, it's funny for me hearing him say that because throughout the you know the time I was in the hospital and the time Leona was in the hospital, all he would say to me over and over again is it doesn't matter. It does. It doesn't matter what happens well, she's our baby and we're going to love her and, and nothing will change. And so like whatever challenges she is faced, it's not going to matter to us. We're here for her. And so I think he kept a lot of those emotions down for me. A lot of those worries, a lot of the, she didn't gain weight and I would freak out. It's fine. You know, like she probably, she probably, it's probably her bowel movement. You know, she had a big bowel movement or whatever. And I think he kept a lot of those emotions suppressed for me because I, some one of us had to be strong and, and sometimes that would alter and, you know, we would switch and I would be strong, but, but not really, <laughs> but the, mm-hmm. I, he really carried that burden. I mean, I, I can't remember a time that I was the, the calm voice and I put that on him pretty heavily. And, and he obviously took that on himself. That was natural for him to be the one to kind of take on that burden of, of calmness and, and not worrying, or at least not expressing it verbally or, or physically with body language or anything like that. And so he, he kind of had to do that. And I, I feel badly for dads because a lot of them do feel that that is their role and that is what they have to do. And in this situation, we're better that she's okay, but we still, I mean, I still don't feel like either one of us have, have really focused in on what Zach went through as the dad, Mm -hmm. because he never really got to deal with it. And so I think, like you said, once you realize no matter what, we're going to love her, no matter what happens, we're going to take care of her and we're going to be happy. She's going to be happy. Once you do that, as well as as see some of the some of the progress she's making, you been you begin to realize that that you're blessed and each thing that each kind of hurdle she would jump through getting uh, her next ultrasound or echo or ultrasound of her head or, you know, looking at her eyes. And and once you learn that everything was normal with that today, everything looked good. Then you just, you think back, wow, I'm, I'm so blessed because so many things could have gone wrong. And I think that if you truly believe that it's not in your hands that, uh, and, and, and these good things are happening, then you just, you begin to, begin to it, it kind of fights sort of that depression type stuff in my yeah opinion. that makes sense well hey let's get to some some good news so day 59 you get to take her home what was it like having her home that very first night that first night was actually pretty rough zach was on call so we didn't it once so you know once she started taking a bottle consistently everything moved much faster and which Again, the her getting a bottle, you know, and taking a bottle took two weeks of us working and training and me being in there nonstop and, and not wanting to miss any feedings, which is a whole lot of in and out and driving to the hospital and and didn't allow for much sleep at all. And so I remember you coming in that morning and saying to us, hey, you know, I don't, you know, kind of like, I don't want to get your hopes up too much, but we're going to do a trial today with a bottle. And if she can do, if she can pass this trial and, and get in enough MLs in this point, then we can start to try for a 24 hour trial and only do bottles. And if she meets that, if she meets that, then we can pull out the tube, you know, the nasal gastric tube, and we can pull that out and 
we can kind of, you know, you didn't want to say discharge because anybody who like popped their head and said discharge, they were, they were, they were in trouble. They oh, were not leaving. said I was going to be discharged. Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Every, yes. And anytime <laughs> the, the discharge coordinator would come in, she regretted it. I mean, she really didn't. I was like, what else can we do? You know, what other steps can we take towards discharge? And so, and, and again, it's, and it's not really. You know, we do every you got everyone was doing what they had to do, but it was going to be up to her as to when she was going to fully take bottles. But she did so well and she kept doing well. And I was and I obviously I couldn't leave because heaven forbid if a nurse or anyone had tried to do a feed and Leona didn't tolerate it. How was I going to handle that? And what was I going to say to the nurse? And and was I going to be so upset that she wasn't coming home that day that I said something irrationally and. And so I didn't want to leave. So obviously I was now, I was going close to 48 hours without sleeping and just kind of, you know, but not just not sleeping really on edge, like, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And and she, and she did well for the 24 hour trial. And so we got to do the car seat test and we got to keep the ball kind of rolling. And so it was by that evening I could take her home. Zach was on call and I was so scared that if, if I didn't take that opportunity, that maybe something small would happen and, and the NICU wouldn't feel comfortable her, with her going home the next day or anything. I was just so afraid to miss my window. And I was I was emotionally, you know, I was telling myself, this is your baby. You can do it. You can take care of her. Every time I change the diaper, you can, change, you can take care of her. You can do this. You're her mom. And I have to say these things out loud to myself. But I convinced myself I could take care of her. And so it was time to take her home. Zach was on call. It was me driving home with her. And the, our three other kids who had come to be there with, you know, with her homecoming and watching her and kind of get out of the hospital. And I get home and I'm like, how do I do this? How am I going to like, what did I just, I just bit off. I just ate the whole cheeseburger. I didn't even bite a piece off. I just ate the whole thing. And um, I just said, you know what? Nothing, everything can wait. The kids, they brush their teeth every morning and every night. Tonight will be the night they don't. We're just going to all just do whatever we do. It's going to completely revolve around her and we're going to, and it's going to be fine. And in the morning I'll have my sister come over and we will, we will deal with this and everything will kind of, we'll just figure it out. And so the first night was really hard. It was a lot of me standing over her and staring at her and making sure she was going to breathe. And we bought the little owl at sock thing and we did that. We didn't know how to use and so I put that on her probably incorrectly and worked. And again, we're just watching her and we're watching her on the monitor. And, and just, it was, again, it was, it was excitement and fear at the same time, which had been a newer thing that I was starting to feel towards the end of the NICU stay. And, um, it was great. It was wonderful. I was happy and I was scared and then I was happy and then I was scared. And I was like, did I make the wrong decision? Is she going to have to go back? Well, if I screw something up, she's going to have to go back what if she just stops taking her bottles and she has to go back? And I just kept thinking, she can't go back. She's got to stay with me. I can do this. I'm her mom. I can do this. I can care for her. And that was just my kind of routine thing that I would say, but it helped. It helped. Saying that out loud did help. And I would encourage other moms to tell yourself you can do this. Tell yourself that you were given this baby and that this is your job and that you are her person and, and you are her advocate and, or his advocate. And you can, and you can do this you were meant to do this and, and, and everything else and all the other stuff around the house, it can all wait, but it was, it was a good day. As you know, there's a lot of tests and kind of checklist type Hurdles. things you gotta, you gotta pass before taking her home, you know, heart screen, newborn screen, which is like a blood test for genetic anomalies. 
car seat tests, there's discharge training, CPR teaching, et cetera. So those things, they, they provide a sense of comfort for you on your day of discharge, but at the same time, you know, you're not exposed to the medical equipment, the expertise of the providers and everybody around you yeah. that you have in the NICU uh, 24-7. So, so I mean, I, I think for anyone, they're going to feel yeah. like, you know, maybe maybe we're not ready or something. And, and that's, I, I believe that to be normal. That's so true. Yeah, I love hearing y'all say that as healthcare providers, as physicians, and, and you have this realization as a parent. I really don't know anything about this. I'm scared to death. Yeah. Let's flip. Let's flip it real quick as we begin to, to wrap this time up with you. And I, I really appreciate y'all being so open and honest. Go back to your your physician role through this journey that you've been on. What advice would you give to other healthcare providers, physician, nurses? What have you learned through this experience that has changed you as a healthcare provider? And, and what could you share with other healthcare providers that we need to learn from your experience? I would definitely say that empathy and putting yourself in someone's shoes is hard. It's hard because we've not all been, you know, there's so many things people get admitted for and so many different disease pathologies that you care for in a patient, but majority of which we'll never have. And for you to put yourself in someone's shoes and, you know, and really offer them that is difficult because you've not gone through that. And so I I would say, I would say maybe just go into a patient room and close the door, a clean one, and just sit there and kind of just see how that, see what that would feel like, because that's the same for all of them. They are all alone in there with, with no answers. And, And just imagine that you could have any list of things that are on your, that are on your sheet for that day that your patients are dealing with. And how isolating that feels, especially not knowing anything. For the neonatologists and for all the all the NICU nurses out there, for them, I would say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how many times I told the nurses that. I don't know how you do this. I could never do this. I could never deal with what you guys deal with every day. But just encourage them to make the family as included as possible. We all have, we're so busy. We, you know, we have to see so many patients in a day. There's so much work to be done. But the amount of time you spend in a room with a family or with a patient, but mostly the family, that exponentially affects their care and what they have at home. Because you need to enable and empower them to care for this family member. And if you do that, you can prevent them from coming back. You can prevent worse outcomes. That is a huge thing too. Just let having them care, like the NICU nurses, they had us help with diaper changes and they tried to, oh, hold her hand, you know, the lactation consultant, hold her hand while you pump, you know, like whatever you can do to, you know, whatever they could do to include us and to have us be a part of her life. Because you have to maintain that connection. Say a elderly mom comes in or dad and, but her baby is in the NICU and she then she, now she's kind of detached from this baby and, and almost scared of this baby. You have to call her and let her know how her baby is doing. Let her let the dad know how his baby is doing, which they which they, you know they all they always did for us. Or even if you're not seeing them at bedside, you reach out to them. Which you know, like I said, we do, the time. What you know, does a nurse and a physician really have always have the time? No, but exponentially, you can improve this patient's outcome by including them, calling them. 
when they're there and, you know, including them as much as possible. Do you want to do this? Not just changing the diaper, but saying, hey, that which they would do for me. They never let me miss a diaper change. You know, they were like, hey, if you're going to be here soon, we're going to we can wait an extra five minutes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way there. Thank you so much. And incorporating them and making them empowering them to be the one who cares for this, because like Zach said, when, when you go home, you guys are not there for us. Our safety blanket is ripped out from under us. All the monitors that we stare at all day to make sure she's okay are gone. And so we really have to, as providers and as people who, who care for families and patients, we've got to include them. And that is, that's one of the biggest things. Understand how lonely and, and have empathy. Yes, I, I'm with that, but also just empower the families to take on the roles that we need them to. Yeah, and just discussing in you know, in detail their condition, the expectations of you know their hospitalization or their condition, the follow up, the labs, the imaging, why you're ordering them, what you know what the results were, what, where do we go from here? I think these are things that we could spend more time with the patient on sometimes, you know, each day, each day. Yeah. And that you guys did an excellent job at providing us with details. Obviously, we asked a lot of questions as well. But to get that information made me realize, okay, my patients need to know a lot more about what's going on with them. Yeah, they don't Um, really understand because they they don't have a background. And and we don't understand with the background. They certainly don't understand. And it really is a patient physician relationship in which we have to honor and we have to understand that if we give a medication or if we do something, we tell them, but yet we don't tell them how, we might as well have not done it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And they get exactly. more involved with their health and they have better outcomes. Yeah. Zach, the research team at TIPQC has done a little research and we've realized that there's more than one preemie in the Zarzor family. Tell our audience just real quick about this other preemie in the Zarzor family. All right. So it's me. I was born a preemie as well. So I'm alumni of the NICU. So you turned uh, out okay, mom, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my mom, she had me at 35 weeks and uh, she was working nights in Chattanooga, Tennessee as a nurse. And her uh, L&D nurse, yeah. And then her, her water broke. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, I was chatting with her about this and she said, yeah, my water broke. And she, and she's very knowledgeable about medicine and knew exactly what was going on. But, uh, she decided, you know, I got, I, I'm at work, so I got to get my work done. So <laughs> she, she read, that's just, that's just the kind of person she is, you know, she, so she rounded on her, her patients, make sure they were all tucked in. She did like her, uh, charting and everything, uh, which is, which is funny to me because, yeah, she if you clear, her, yeah. Well, she clearly knew she was going to be admitted, so she wanted to make sure everything was tucked away before, you know, another another nurse took over her patients. Wow. I actually began having some uh, decelerations uh, in my heart rate, so it was going down. And um, for the listeners, that's not a good thing <laughs> at all. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so they kind of they prepped her for a C-section, and then, but uh, not too much long, too much longer. She actually had me vaginally. I had a uh, a double nuchal cord where the umbilical cord wow. wrapped around uh, wrapped around the neck, and uh, it couldn't be reduced, meaning they couldn't pop it over my head, and 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 I breathed normally. So they they had to cut it at the perineum, and after that, you know, not a whole lot of cries or anything coming out of me. So they were concerned about hypoxia at that point, so they had to bag me and 
and they eventually had to intubate. My dad was all concerned. He was standing there and, and they, so, you know, they decided, well, he, he, you know, his lungs are strong enough. He, he can do something like that. So, so they didn't feel the need to put one back in. I was three pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, like I said, I was 35 weeks. So it wasn't, you know, I'm not as tough as, as Leona being uh, a 27 weeker, uh, you know, kind of puts me in that wimpy boy yeah, category. I think-, <laughs> I think both of y'all for just taking the time to share both of these stories today, especially the personal journey that you've been on. So finally, one of the questions I like to end with, and this is sort of like a, leave us with an inspirational quote or, or something. If you could have a gigantic billboard somewhere in Tennessee on I-40, I-65, going to the hospital in Jackson every day that everybody could look up and see, what message would you put on that billboard? Uh, it's a tough one. There's so many things. As a, as a dad, I try to think of these things sometimes and try to try to instill them in my children. <laughs> Some quotes that may stick or something. But uh, I would say probably you're blessed. I think that's that's something that I don't know how much of an impact that would make if that would resonate with people. But but I think it's something we always need to remember because no matter uh, the the situation you've been dealt or or what sort of adversity happens with you you're blessed in many ways you are. And, and you know, some things you just need to put in God's hands and, and, and hopefully come out of it. And uh, I was doing some research. Scientists apparently estimate that the odds of just being born on earth is one in 400 trillion. So, wow. I mean, it's pretty remarkable just to, to be here. And, and I think people yeah. should remember that. Yeah. Well, I think we've, we've all been blessed here in your story and, and you just being an open book and sharing us what it was like to be a patient, Alex. And then to have a patient in the NICU that, that yeah, spent thank you. many, many weeks with us. Thanks for just your 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 openness, your your emotions uh, that you shared with our audience. Thank you for giving us. Yeah, thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to talk about it, to open up about it. And hopefully, like I got so much peace from the blogs and um, hopefully a lot of other moms and dads get some peace and some understanding of, of what's to come or, or what happened from this podcast. We appreciate you even having this out there for families. Well, it's our honor to do so as TIPQC. And for those of you who uh, listen to us, uh, thanks again for turning into turning in to listen to another podcast episode. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.